0: Eight oh three on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Got a lot to get to in hour three. Bob Stelton from Seattle Sports Radio is going to talk a little Mariners in just a moment here. Before we get to Bob, I need to tell you that Halford and Bruff hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound real estate appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and pound. If you want to check them out on the internet, you can do that. Campbell pound.com today. All right. So of all the things that we've talked about today, we've left major league baseball to the final hour of the program. The NL got their game twos underway and done yesterday. It's the ALS turn today. Mariners-Astros game two, Yankees-Guardians game two. Uh, joining us now to talk about those M's from Seattle Sports Radio, Bob Stelton here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Bob. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Uh,
0: we're good. We think we might be feeling better than the Seattle Mariners after one of the more dramatic <laughs> late-inning losses in MLB postseason history. But the reality is, is we're not sure. I don't really have a good gauge. Of where this team is at mentally, and I'm not sure anybody does aside from maybe the manager Scott Service. Um, it was a it was a historic loss in the context of you know the Astros were down to their last strike, and you've never really had a walk off that you know had multiple run comeback on it. But we've said this a few times; it feels like this is a resilient ball club, and there is a sense that you know this is a bit of a house money. Playing with postseason because it's the first time in twenty years that the M's have been there, and they won that round already against the Blue Jays. If you had to harbor a guess, where do you think the M's are at mentally after that loss in Game One?
1: You know, it, it, I think you nailed it, and only Scott Service truly knows, and these guys know. But if just from being around them this season and seeing how they've responded to things uh, throughout the year, certainly nothing of this consequence. They they are a resilient bunch. They really are, and and I think they know they come into these. You know, these two series, certainly the Blue Jays and now this one is heavy underdogs because these teams are loaded top to bottom. You know, the Blue Jays were one of the top five offenses in all of baseball, no matter what category you wanted to look at. Um and they were able to get through that and now you you had a devastating loss. There's no there's no two ways around it. I think certainly the fans and the media and everybody that saw it appear to be more impacted than maybe the players are. We're gonna we're gonna find out today, but I mean, they, they are just a, a, it's, it's a unique collection of guys. It really is. It's, it's, you often hear people talk about locker rooms or clubhouses and oh man, it's really good chemistry. They all like each other. And that might be mostly true. And there might be a few outliers in there that you don't talk about, but in this case, this is one of the best locker rooms, best clubhouses I've ever been in. And they truly have each other's back and they believe in each other, regardless of what happened or what's going on in the season. So if I had to guess, I would I feel like they're coming into this game they're not going to be pressing, it doesn't mean they're going to win. Astros are a loaded great team. I mean, they got the second best record in all of baseball behind the Dodgers, so we'll we'll see how they look, but you know, if I'm if I'm having to have a realistic guess, this is a team that yeah, they look at it, that stinks, that was brutal, but our goal here is to split on the road and they still have that opportunity.
0: So we both work in the same industry here. You host sports radio in Seattle. We hosted in Vancouver. We came in this morning after uh, Canucks regular season loss and the feedback was intense. It was passionate and there was a lot of it. I can't even imagine what Seattle sports talk radio must have been like debating the decision to go to Robbie Ray. Because it was so polarizing and it was so out of left field, uh, give us a sense of what that was like in the aftermath. As I got to imagine that fans were super upset with not only the decision but obviously how badly it played out.
1: Yeah, super upset would be an understatement. It was <laughs> people were were really out of sorts to right. say the very least, and you know, y- y- you get to the, the immediate reaction, which is very passionate and not often very rational. And, uh, you know, if you're on social media, that's where people go to say things they'd never say in person. So, you know, you can imagine the hyperbole there that this guy should be fired. And this is why this team will never do anything. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? They just, they (laughs) finally got over the hump for the first time in two decades. They win the first series as underdogs, not nearly as loaded as these teams. So let's, let's slow down on this guy. Doesn't know anything about baseball and that it was sort of portrayed by a lot of fans that, Scott Service just went with his gut in this moment, they just on a whim said, "You know what let's go with robbie ray that's not how that works that's not how he works that's not how that decision went. You know this is stuff that they they lay down the night before here here's what we're going to do in this situation, and if we got this guy up at the plate and it's this inning whatever i mean they've got they've got guys in place for every scenario. Did it work no, it didn't work it was It was brutal, but what people fail to remember is, yeah, that was the last moment it was it was not a good result but the M started choking this one away before, and it's from guys they've been counting on all year. Andres Munoz is one of the best closers in all of baseball, one of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball. He gave up a two-run two, home, two run home run to Bregman. Yeah. Then Paul Sewald came in after that. Paul Se- you, you are not here without Paul Seawald. Paul Sewald has been spectacular, but he melted down a bit in Toronto and gave up four runs in two-thirds of an inning. This was his first appearance since that, obviously, he goes out there, he hits a guy, he gives up a base hit when he was down to two strikes on the guy to end the game, and he started looking a little shaky again, so he went out there and put that fire out, and they talked about if the lefties come up and Tucker or Alvarez, we got Robbie Ray in the bullpen, and they obviously had more faith in what he was going to be able to do than perhaps Matthew Boyd, who's the other lefty out there. Uh, again, it's I don't think Robbie Ray... Robbie Ray was trying to throw a meatball middle middle over the middle of the plate the way that he did, but that's where the ball ended up. And Alvarez did what he does, and he destroyed the ball. So it didn't work. <laughs> but you know there were failures along the way that led up to that from Munoz, from Seawald. You could go back and look at Manny Acta. I mean, he's Manny Acta is a great guy. He's a brilliant third base coach, but he sends Ty France, who is arguably the slowest player on this team, maybe outside of Jesse Winker decides to send him from third to home, and he gets thrown out by at least 25 feet. I mean, it wasn't even close. So that ended an inning. It ended a scoring threat there. So this is not to throw him under the bus, but only to say, listen, there are moments throughout this game that led to this point. It wasn't, hey, we are completely in command. All we got to do is get this one guy out. Yeah, that would have ended the game. But they kind of started crumbling before then. Boy, that was a meatball, though, wasn't it? I was kind of it laughing was, when he, when he, he said – He couldn't have walked up to the catcher <laughs> and handed him a better ball. I mean, it was just – it was it was ridiculous. It was a 94-mile-an-hour center cut, middle-middle. It looked like a – that had to look like a beach ball to him.
2: Uh, tell us about the pitching matchup today.
1: It, it's as good as you could hope for as a Mariner fan. Luis Castillo in game one against the Toronto Blue Jays was absolutely dominant he went seven in the third innings he was there was not a beat of sweat on the man he would he was coasting and again the blue jays lineup is as formidable as it gets when you look at all of the numbers whether it's the basic numbers you want to get into the you know the the extended stats and the the you know hard contact rate and the barrel rate everything that's a masher of a team and he went out there and completely shut them down and he did it effortlessly. So this is what you picked him up for. This is why you made the deal you did to bring him here at the trade deadline. This is why you signed him to an extension. You couldn't ask for a better guy to be going today on the heels of what just took place. Right now you've got more confidence in him than anybody else in that in that entire clubhouse. So I think they're they're hoping and betting on the fact that he's going to be some version of what we saw in game 1 against Toronto. I don't I don't know if it's fair to expect that dominant of a performance again, but Man, he's feeling great. He was throwing the ball great, and you know, if you're looking to rebound, you you are not in a better position to do so than bringing Luis Castillo out there. And we'll see what he does. I mean, again, this is the Astros are loaded. As much mm-hmm. as I detest that team and everything about them, they are incredibly well stocked with talent from top to bottom. They have no perceived weaknesses. Their rotation is amongst the best in baseball. Their bullpen is amongst the best in baseball. Their offense is amongst amongst the best in baseball. So. There's, there's nothing easy about this, and, you know, if you've got a chance to to gain a split on the road, this is your best chance.
0: You know, I do have to say that just based on what happened last night, the Mariners have to be buoyed by the fact that, you know, uh, the Braves got back in their series with the Phillies, tied it up at 1-1. The Padres did the same to the Dodgers winning in L.A., which they knew they were going to have to do at some point if they were going to win that series. So, look, this isn't the largest hill to overcome, They've done a lot of good things, and that continued over to game one against the Astros. you got to say, like, Julio Rodriguez was unbelievable in that game. And when you're tying records that were set by Lou Gehrig, like, you know you're on a different plane in terms of production. And they got to Verlander. The bats have been really good in this small sample size in the postseason. So, you know, you go into tonight's game or today's game, and you've got Castillo on the bump, and it's like, okay, we can probably get this to 1-1. The issue that we have is that when you blew that chance in game one, you've got to beat the Astros in three or four. And that seems pretty daunting. If you were to extrapolate this out and look even – let's say they tie this thing up at 1-1 and Castillo throws another gem tonight. How does the rest of the rotation shake out and give them a chance to maybe actually pull off the upset and win this series?
1: Well, they've already said that that George Kirby is going to go in game three. That's okay. the spot that, that Robbie Ray would normally occupy. So game three will be George Kirby, who – if not for Julio Rodriguez, perhaps we would be talking about as a candidate for rookie of the year. I don't think he would get it, but he's been that good. He's been spectacular this year. And he came out of the bullpen in Toronto to close out a game. This is a a 24 year old rookie who's a starter. And they, they, Scott service brought him out of the bullpen in that case, it worked. So it's uh, he's, He's about as composed and calm as anybody I've ever seen out on the hill. It's, it, his composure is absolutely amazing, and his command of the strike zone is brilliant. So I like the one-two punch. I like mm-hmm. Castillo today. I like Kirby tomorrow. If you're asking me realistically, do I think they're going to come back and win this series? That's a tall order. I, yeah. I was asked at the very beginning of the series that you know, if I had to take my money and go to Vegas and say, I need to win this bet, who, who's going to win the series? I'm probably betting on the Astros. They're at home. They won 106 games. I mean, they they are loaded. They they have been the dominant force in this division and the American League for a number of years. So, Mariners are are taking the right steps. They got past the first round. The, I think they're going to get a game in this series. Maybe they get two. If I if I had the bet, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on them. But I also wouldn't be surprised. They they, they go in and you talked about them playing with house money. I don't think they think of it like that. But I think there is a level of calmness to them because all of the weight and all of the expectation is sitting in the other dugout. The The Astros are supposed sure. to win. They've been there. They're the ones that are loaded. They come in with the expectation. You know, they've been to the world series. They've been to the ALCS, what feels like every season. So they're supposed to do it. The Mariners right now are going in as underdogs. And I think they relish that. And one last thing, the offense is something that should give Mariner fans a lot of confidence yeah. because of these last two games. They've scored 5 runs in each of the last two games without benefit of the home run. And that's how they've been winning all year is the home run, which is great. Home runs are fun. But they they were leading the league for a good portion of the season and runners stranded on base. They could not push guys across. They wouldn't they couldn't manufacture runs and it was incredibly frustrating. In Toronto they're down 9 to 5 in the 8th inning. They got 6 outs to work with yeah. after the Carlos Santana home run they score five runs in, with six outs to play with, and they didn't hit a home run. And you look at this game against Houston, they had two solo home runs, two solo shots. The other five runs they scored, all manufactured. So in two two games back-to-back, they put up 10 runs without benefit of a home run. To me, that is huge, because that is out of character for this team. It's what has it hindered them throughout the season. And to see them turn that around in the postseason, where it matters most against the pitching that they've been facing, says a lot about where this offense is.
0: Well, you just led me perfectly to my next thought, which was not only have the bats come alive in the postseason, but they've done it, like, two, maybe the two of the best pitchers, maybe the two best pitchers, McClanahan, but, uh, you know, Manoa and Verlander, to get after them the way that they did and put up the offense that they did, especially against Verlander, like, I think it was 10 hits, six runs. I think those are the two largest numbers he's ever allowed in a postseason he's 39 years old and has been around for forever so the offense has certainly been there one final question for you before we let you go Saturday playoff baseball returns to Seattle for the first time in over two decades what's that atmosphere going to be like when game three goes in Seattle
1: oh my god it's it's I I (laughs) I can only imagine you know I was out there when the Seahawks played the 49ers in the NFC title game and I I you know, it's, in, it's an environment you can't even put into words. I was in the stands when Cal Raleigh hit that home run to lock up this playoff spot, and I was out there the see, and it was that surpassed the Seahawks 49ers thing. That was, that was 20 years of frustration being let out and, and tears and beer and everything's going everywhere and you're hugging strangers, and, and this town is absolutely buzzing with Mariner fever. I mean, they are invested in a way – I couldn't even imagine because every year was kind of the same thing. They would get close at times, but for the most part, they weren't close. And uh, the drought continues. This town is ready to explode. And more importantly, there's a lot of dislike for the Astros. I mean, Astros are hated in baseball, period. It's not just Seattle. But yep. there's there's a special level of sports hate for the Astros yeah. because they're cheaters, because they're in the division, because of you know there's some personalities on there that are you know, not the most huggable people. So I I think, you know, 20 years of frustration coupled with the fact that it's the Astros, the team you love to hate, it it is going to be absolutely bananas out there. I mean, I I cannot wait to be out there just to experience what that's like. And I would think the Astros have a a small sense of what's coming their way.
2: Maybe the Mariners will be able to make that uh, kid cry again. <laughs> in the Astros yeah. crowd. Yeah, I mean, we that? can all hope, right? Oh, yeah.
1: That was making me nuts. Give me a break, kid. You are going to be fine. And then, then we're going to show him after the game. All of a sudden, he's all full of smiles. Yeah, and he look, he overcame he's it. Candy. Ugh. Yuck.
2: Bob uh, kids are the worst.
1: Bob, we are the worst. Yeah, we're
0: gonna say something bad here in a minute. I know we're going to Okay, Bob. Uh one, I wanna thank you for doing this. This was awesome. Two, enjoy the game tonight. Today, sorry. And three, really enjoy Saturday, because regardless how the series goes, uh it's awesome that the Mariners have playoff baseball back in Seattle. I think it'll be great regardless of how the series is going, going into that game. So enjoy it all, bud and thanks again for doing this.
1: No problem, guys. Anytime, man.
0: Thank you. That's Bob Stelton from Seattle Sports Radio in Seattle. Uh, He does uh, his own show as well as some Mariners pre and post. And I am. It's interesting, right? Because this series could be over by the time they get to Seattle. Like if the the, the Astros go out and win tonight, the series isn't over, but the series is over. I mean, right, the, the Mariners blew a fantastic opportunity in game one. If you go up 2-0. We have to face if facts you, If you that. go up 2-0 in a best of five, yeah, it's not as daunting as going up 3-0 in a best of seven, but it's pretty overwhelming. Yeah. Your margin of error is
2: gone. You've got to beat the Astros three times. I don't. Beating them three out of four is, just seems like an overly daunting task right now, but hopefully yeah. they can pull it off. Uh, I want to move into what we learns now. Uh, just a reminder to get your what we learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line. At 6.50, 6.50, obviously lots of opinions on last night's Canucks game. Uh, I'm sorry we took 15 minutes to talk about baseball to the textures that texted in and wondered why we were talking about baseball. The first two hours of the show, if you want to download the podcast, yeah. are all hockey talk. A lot of Canucks talk based on what happened last night in Edmonton. We ran, went around the league too, talked about the Leafs, shaky start. In Montreal, we talked to Frank Valley, Brendan Bachelor. So lots of uh, hockey talk in the first two hours. Lots of hockey talk to come. Um, but I, I, my, what we learned, unfortunately uh, for all the hardcore hockey fans out there, is not hockey related. But it is juicy, and we like juicy sports stories. Andy just looked up. He's like juicy,
3: juicy. What? What?
2: Just give you an eyebrow juicy? wag.
3: Getting kind of hungry.
2: Um, so ESPN has been doing a lot of reporting about Washington commander's owner, Dan Snyder. Okay. So the crux of this article, and if you go to ESPN.com, it's right there, right in the middle of the front page. The crux of this whole article is how is Dan Snyder still the owner? How has he not been forced out? With all of the things that have happened to this franchise, whether it's the toxic workplace, there's been allegations that Dan Snyder has been trying to um, hide or hide revenue streams so he wouldn't have to give money and revenue sharing to the rest of the owners. So in a nutshell, screwing over other owners, um, there's just been a lot going on. They've kind of uh, screwed up the their new stadium plan. Like they've been, no one's interested in building them a stadium anymore because Dan Snyder is the owner. And what the article concludes is that a lot of owners are scared maybe mm-hmm. to force Dan Snyder out because Dan Snyder keeps dossiers on some of these owners. Like he's got dirt. Mm-hmm on Jerry Jones or even the commissioner, Roger Goodell. Um, so I'm not going to go through this whole article, but we have talked about the Washington Commanders before. We actually, do we have Tisha Thompson on? We did. And she's one of the co-writers of this article. It's an interesting read. And of course, Dan Snyder and his lawyers are saying, we, we have, Dan Snyder doesn't have... Dossiers on these owners He's not out there collecting dirt Just in case he needs to use this dirt Against these owners But based on the character of this guy Based on how many owners Hate this guy And it is clear in this Mm -hmm. Like it is clear That the other owners hate Dan Snyder If you like this sort of stuff If you like football If you like juicy sports stories Go ahead and give this article a read Because it's a lot of fun like the commanders are a disaster you know like on the field also this season like Ron Rivera has already had to apologize to Carson Wentz for calling him out mm-hmm. like it's it just i you get the feeling that sometimes you're you're in one of these situations you're like something's got to give here right but i also understand the situation of other owners like what if he does have some dirt on some of these other owners
3: i mean i get it i've dossiers and all you guys Plenty of dogs. Do you? Days. Oh, yeah. yeah. Stacks.
2: Stacks. Jason one night forgot <laughs> to feed his cats. There,
0: There's a line in the piece from ESPN where privately Snyder has almost issued a warning to the rest of the NFL owners. They can't F with me, he has said privately. It's like a
3: Tupac song.
2: I, I like he's this, a straight Snyder. I like this back and forth. Uh, you don't got... want to F with him. Is it
3: Snyder hit Snyder. <laughs>
2: yeah. His ambitions as a Snyder. Did, did you read this, Helford? Um, The NFL is a mafia," Snyder recently told an associate. "All the owners hate each other," and then the next line is, "That's not true." One veteran owner says, "All the owners hate Dan." Well, yeah,
0: they probably (laughs) pretty good line. They probably do for sure. I would I would say though, like, is this Snyder aside? Because I think that his villainous nature goes beyond like a caricature, right? I think he actually does like heinously bad things. But totally some of, some of these other guys paranoia. Yeah. But some of these other like when you are get, rich guys
2: are rich guys ever paranoid
0: when you get a bunch of billionaire old white dudes all at a same table where it's like I'm going to whip up my billions and see if it's bigger than your billions. Like there's going to be some craziness involved with that right now. There's some guys that I think are like uh, Jim Irsay in Indianapolis, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the son of a billionaire He's probably had a very different existence to everyone else. He's got a, a long-raging issue with um alcohol and, and and drug dependencies. I'm not trying to make light of his situation, but he, by and large, is like he's a guy that's there, and he posts pictures of him and Dave Matthews at a concert together, and he's having he likes playing the guitar and everything. Yeah. Those guys Did are. Did he invite
2: Dan Snyder along to the concert?
0: Uh I don't think so. I don't I don't, so. I don't okay. think they're buddies. Yeah. But mm-hmm. point being, he's in the large scheme of things, it's like he's He's supposed to be what an NFL owner represents. Unbelievably wealthy, in charge. Mm-hmm. He's part of the brand. He's the, the family legacy. That's kind of what the NFL has been built on. But um, it's very hard to say that these guys, with the amount of money that's at stake, with the amount of power that's at stake, and with their personalities, that This is all one big competition at the ownership level. Yeah. So for Snyder... There's a lot of ego at play. Right. So th- does it surprise me that Dan Snyder has a dossier filled with evil facts about everybody in the NFL? No. But it's part of the great theater of the NFL. By the way... If you're,
2: if you're a rich guy, would you hire private investigators a lot? Constantly.
3: <laughs> just to annoy my enemies. <laughs> not even... <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. I'd not follow, even to gather dirt. Just, just follow them around like and annoy Dr- him.
2: Drancer comes on the show and says something that I don't agree with. And I'm like, uh-uh, Drancer... Your <laughs> I got a guy that's taking pictures of you bleaching <laughs> your groceries on top <laughs> of your
0: apartment. Okay? I've got that guy.
3: I know no. what you did last summer. Can you imagine right.
2: the the dossier on Drance? It would just be so boring. Yeah. It's like he made a $4 bet on baseball last night. <laughs> Eight
0: times. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing, is that when you're in, and again, when, I will say this. I mean, part of the reason that we can joke about all this stuff is we have very low stakes in the game, right? Dan Snyder, for his... Awful as he sounds as a person, has a billion dollar empire at stake.
3: Is he real life, Mister Burns? You know, nah, no, no, not quite that evil. He hasn't blocked out the sun yet, or attempted to yet. He's the, working on it. The, he might. The other thing
0: with them is that the on field product in Washington is awful. Like we had, uh, it was it Trisha Thompson? Right,
2: mm-hmm. Trisha Thompson. Trisha
0: Thompson. Sorry, she grew up uh, in and around the area and understood what it meant to be. Uh, a Washington then Redskins now Commanders fan she said it used to be like an iconic franchise mm-hmm. they won Super Bowls Joe Gibbs was the head coach they were a proud franchise yeah. and now it's like people don't even want to wear the gear because it's just associated it's yeah it's associated with yeah. embarrassment by the way they're on Thursday Night Football tonight Commanders Bears yeah, watch it's... it won't you anyway. no thank you okay uh, we're up against it moo how that ah To the humanoids, we go on the other side. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. It's the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
3: Time now for Sportsnet
0: 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol.
2: You got to let me know who you are, okay? I don't want you to blend in. You got to figure out who you are. Are you a scorer? Are you a banger? What are you? I still
3: don't know. 8.34
0: 8.34 on a Thursday. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Imagine if your job entailed turning around and telling
3: your boss whether you are a scorer or a banger. I'm a banger, boss. I'm a banger. I'll always be a banger. No matter how much you want me to be a scorer, I'll be a banger. I'll never stop being a banger.
2: Was this a clip? Was this game played in the
3: 1920s? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Don't worry, boss. I'll be a banger.
2: What era, there, you, what, what, what era tip, was that? What era was that? 1920s, Prohibition
3: era? 30s, yeah. 30s, maybe? Yeah. The, oh, and, the humanity peaked oh, and when tip, that was oh, and the normal is a rum
1: place. smuggler, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> we tried
0: hard, sir. Uh, so that, that clip we played coming back from break, that was what we were alluding to earlier. I guess Torts was mic'd up for one of the uh, preseason games in Philly. And part of, the, part of the Torts' allure is making people feel uncomfortable. Right? That's what he likes to do. He likes controversy, he likes it to be a little uncomfortable. I can't think of a better way to make a guy feel uncomfortable than asking him what he is and what he's going to be. Show me what you're going to be. And Owen Tippett would be like, "I'm a hockey player." Are you a banger? He's <laughs> like, "Am I
2: going out next shift?" Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can you
3: simplify this for me? I score a banger.
2: Do you remember when Tort absolutely laid into Yannick Hansen on
3: the
0: Oh bench? yeah. Oh, yeah. If we had been mic'd up for that. I would have I would have paid
2: good money for that.
0: Yeah, he had a lot of really good lines when he was here. The if David Booth is our best player, that's a bad,
2: good thing for him, bad thing for us.
0: Yeah. That was
3: a, <laughs> yeah, good line. Oh, I love Torts. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't love him.
2: Oh, I couldn't. No, I love Dan Torch that season, but I've come around on really him a little I, bit. I have, it was one I just of my think, favorite parts well, of that season. It's, uh, all, it's all I had. You know, so inter- he was <laughs> so the wrong fit for we've that. Of course, we've, of course. Re,
0: we've relitigated this a million times, but I do remember he did have the self awareness at a certain point to know that his shtick wasn't going to work. Because, do you remember that like the very first press conference when someone's phone went off? Yeah, and he tried to pull like that's a major league fine. Everyone was like, "What?" Like they weren't like no one was taking the bait. Mm-hmm. And I probably answered his phone. And he's like, "Yeah, it's okay. It's just Mario and Luigi up there talking. Don't worry about him." But um, you know, throughout the course of the year, he did pivot off. I'm gonna show these guys what it takes to. Okay, I see that the. Core is stale. That was his thing, right?
2: Yeah, that's what he said. Right, and his last,
0: and I respected the fact that he knew that he's not
2: 2011 anymore. That's what he said. And
0: his last hurrah was, "I'm going to give it the one last college try and try and fight Bob Hartley. Maybe that'll fire these guys up." And it went so south, right? But. Hindsight, I thought that was the best thing he did. It was. I mean, (laughs) now that we now that you look at it, he was trying to get the guys to stick up for each other. Yeah, he was trying to get them fired up. Yeah, but it was the last ditch effort Mm -hmm. because he knew that the traditional torch stuff wasn't going to work because the guys
3: were too old. That was the one year I covered the team down at the rink. So that was was a fun game when that happened. The core needed
2: to change. He was right.
3: the, The booth upstairs just cleared out when the word got out that he was downstairs doing that. It was like a Ghost Town up but there. Everyone just ran downstairs and, to see.
0: And I don't want to make too much of this, but like you can ask that question, maybe legitimately, of Owen Tippett on the bench, because it's probably a fair question. Like a guy's not an established anything at the NHL level. No. Could you He couldn't have done that in Vancouver? You couldn't have been like, Henrik, you need to show me what ya. And he's like, Well, I, Please, I, was, uh, didn't we I agree just, not I'm, to I'm do Henry impressions I. anymore? <laughs> I'm Henrik. What
2: are you what yeah. Actually, I'm Daniel. <laughs> yeah, you oh, wanted yeah. to turn him into a shot blocker. <laughs>
0: I don't know what, but if you ask that question of a guy that's won the Hart Trophy, he's going to turn around and be like, "I want a Hart Trophy. Please stop talking to me." Right. All
2: right, let's move on to the listeners here. Let's print out some submissions. Parker and Kits, what we learned after the way David Krejci played last night for the Boston Bruins, I learned that the Canucks can trade Horvat for a top four right hand defenseman and ask Henrik Sedin to play on the third line. Yeah, bring him out of retirement. Krejci had two assists last night. I think. I think it's so, a pretty yeah. good game.
0: Um, you know, I've often joked. That the the Canucks missed their opportunity to bring the Sedin's back out of retirement and have them be fourth line guys, I think it would be amazing. Mm-hmm. I think they've the the, the <laughs> opportunity window is closed there. I think they've do been
2: you
0: think re- so. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, it's probably the, closed. The only reason I'd say no is because oh I bet there's. Let's no, not do this. I bet there's not a retired NHLer within the last five years that's in better shape than the Sedin's. Yeah, seriously. No, that's what they amazing. do for fun. Isn't yeah. Gary, Gary Roberts ripped? Ripped? Gary Robert's too heavy, and he's also like fifty-five.
3: Do you think Boudreaux will them? Sorry, do you think Boudreaux approach approach them like, hey uh, guys? Uh, I don't know if you've given this much thought yet, but uh, scratching <laughs> the side of his face, <laughs> like, how would you feel? Yeah, I'm just throwing this it's out there. Crazy thought. I did think for a time that they could bring him back one year out. But have we mentioned that Patterson is kind of morphing into a city? In Chris somewhere? from yeah. Surrey.
2: Yeah, let's let's not do the thing where we talk over each other. Okay. Okay. All right, uh, Chris from don't Surrey. talk over him. <laughs> What we learned, Pedersen's new hair and goatee makes him look like an honorary Sedin brother. Yeah. Yep. He is morphing into a Sadine. for crazy. sure. That's crazy. I'm pretty stoked yeah. on it. I
3: know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of material. Who's Manko's
0: going to show up. They're all going to do Sadine cosplay
3: throughout the <laughs> I noticed you all dyed your hair. Is this not good? <laughs>
2: Again with the accents. <laughs>
0: it's almost
3: better that we German. can't do
0: a single accent. We haven't gotten one right yet. <laughs>
2: Did you guys read uh, Drancer's interview with Petey? Petey's new line is, like, I don't want to give a headline to you. He said that to us, and he said it to Drancer as well. And Drancer was like,
3: please, we need a headline. Isn't that in itself a headline? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty nice. I don't want to give a headline to you. You can put the word headline in That would have been
2: actually awesome. That should have been the headline that
3: Drancer went I don't want to give a headline to you. But... is doing no more interviews.
2: No, I thought, I thought it, it was interesting, though. He kind of went into some of the same stuff that he went into with us. He, he remains really guarded, but he was just talking about how when he came to Vancouver, everything was big, right? Like, he's from a pretty small town. He wasn't, you know, worldly. And then all of a sudden, he comes to Vancouver. He's a young guy. Everyone's basically calling him uh, the savior of the Canucks. He's He's incredible. You can imagine the personal interaction that he had. You can imagine all the people trying to make a buck off him. He was on social media a lot. He said he started to care too much about that stuff, and now he's dialed it back. I really think that you know, if I was running an an organization, I would have serious conversations about with my players about social media, and just like I wouldn't sit there and be like, I wouldn't be like Lou Lam, just like no social media or anything like that. I think I might because I. (laughs) I I would just, but I would just be like, Hey guys, like you have to understand how distracting this can be and how hard on your confidence it can be to hear, uh, the comments that people will make. Everyone will get negative comments on social media. Even Connor McDavid, even Sidney Crosby, all these guys get multiple negative comments constantly. McDavid doesn't play defense right early on in Sid's career. Uh, you know, like too much of a temper or the Flyers own you or something like that, right? Sidney Crosby,
0: do you remember that? That was a very unfortunate hashtag for the first half of his career, right? But that was a thing. That's social media. That's something
2: you have to deal with. And I imagine going to the Sedins and asking them for advice on how to deal with criticism would be very useful, and I hope that's happening because, look, the way Pedersen played last year, he talked about it. His confidence was low. I'm not saying that social media was the reason his confidence was low, but I guarantee you it wasn't helping.
0: Okay. Uh, we need to do this. I'm actually upset at myself that I didn't address this earlier. Unsigned what we learned, so it must be from Gary. He writes in, dog's Shakespearean background is really shining with these impressions. Now, this came to light after the show yesterday. Oh, and no. again, I'm pissed that I did not bring yes. this up. Andy... Has a Shakespearean background. Uh, His acting background is actually so thorough that Andy Cole has his own IMDb page. Are you aware of this? No, but let's go through it. A-Dog. No, no, we don't need to. Oh, this is. So A-Dog casually mentions after the show. We've known each other for. A long time ago. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) A-Dog casually mentions after the show yesterday and drops a, in my acting days. So I perk up. I'm like, pardon? I knew you were in a band. I had no idea that you were enough of an actor to have acting days. Briefly. In 2003, there was something called The Great Upstanding Member. Yeah. And there is A Dog's face, a young A Dog. Very young A yeah. Dog. On the marquee.
2: Sorry, what's it called? The Upstanding Member. The <laughs> Great <laughs>
0: Upstanding Member. Oh, this boy. looks like a sort of, hey, let's get on the back of American Pie, sexy team rom com type
3: thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was I want to know I I mean, mean, the plot. They, they, Give us the
0: plot. I don't want to know everything. I want to know more than everything.
3: I mean it was you know, I did a few uh <laughs> a few uh you know, uh pilots they call them that never aired and that was one of them and okay. uh it was a good experience and uh they paid me money and uh yeah, it was a small part of my life.
2: All right, Andy doesn't want to talk about this, so let's go to Robin Langley, what we learned. Sounds like you were in adult movies, frankly, <laughs> the way you're talking about it. It's <laughs> a small part of my life. Made in, very good money. <laughs> in the in The, <laughs> the, the member certainly was upstanding. <laughs> yeah, the upstanding member. Read
3: them the tagline, Halford. I thought you were going to do that. In a style inspired after the
0: 1980s after-school specials. God, I love this so much. You're so adorable. What's the tagline? Uh... Who knew erections could be so hard? That's real.
3: <laughs> I did not even say what? that. That is it. What? Hold on. I thought you were going to have that as part of your bit because I I, that is it. the real tagline. That, that's not a joke. What was this thing about? Yeah, we're getting just... back to this now. <laughs> <laughs> we're back in. It was about we... just teen teenagers growing up it was and, a... you know. It was a teen growing a, up, a yeah, teen rom com of sorts, I guess. Were you was, a, teen a teen wondering? A, were you a yeah, well, teen wondering like, about
2: your upstanding member? I would have been like twenty at the time. Yeah. I was Why asked. is it always upstanding? Every time I
0: go to school, it's it was, upstanding. Yeah, It was a
3: problem. What's the premise? <laughs> just, it's like as you said, like kind of like American Pie. That's a good summary. Oh. <laughs> it God, never it never got picked up. You were not prepared <laughs> for this. You don't say. Were you like the Stifler character? I wasn't prepared for it. I was the main teen character about growing up Jason, awkwardly in high school Jason Biggs the, the main yeah guy? exactly okay yeah, yeah, yeah there you go
2: It kind of yeah. seems boring to go to this now what we learned from Robin Langley <laughs> the Vancouver Canucks are once again having trouble playing a full 60 minute game yeah they uh they played well for the first half of the game but back to <laughs> you might say the member wasn't upstanding for 60 minutes
0: they had trouble keeping it going
3: for the whole time <laughs> I'm sorry
0: I am fascinated by this. Van, Van George with the, what we learned. Hashtag WW what we learned. I learned that if you catch a stick in the mouth, even if there should be a call, don't go full yard sale on the PK. Because if the call is missed, you are definitely getting scored on. Um, it was a little too bang, bang of a play for me to see Hughes get hit and then be like, oh, they're definitely going to score. But watching it on replay, I was like, yeah, that's the only way. That was going to turn out. An egregiously missed high stick. Your best defenseman is bleeding from the mouth or nose. He's down and out on the play. I was like, they're 100% going to score there. And they yeah. did.
2: I mean, easier said than done to stay in the play when you just took took a high stick to the face and you're bleeding. Because, you know, it hurts. Uh, Mike, the urologist from Brockville, what we learned, Marshawn showed support for Russ on Richard Sherman's podcast But noted, they can't get a hold of Russ without talking to his manager. Still interesting to see that not everyone hates Russ. Not everyone hates Russ. We had KJ Wright on the show, and he said he's still good with Russ. But on the clips that I've seen of Marshawn on the Richard Sherman podcast, you can tell that Marshawn's just like, what happened to you, Russ? Like, Mm. what's going on with you? Like, you're going off the deep end, dude. Uh, you listen to it at the break, right? Uh,
0: now we can It's going to be too difficult to play because there's too many swears in it. There's a lot of swearing, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. tough to play because you'd be bleeping out every second or third word. But um, man, I'll tell you what: of all the things I had on my Seahawks bingo card, I did not expect such a thorough relitigation of that era. But that's all we've
2: got this Don't season. Don't you think those guys wonder, like, who's this? You know, because the Seahawks will remember Russell Wilson when he was like, you know, a young kid on the team trying to make the team, probably a bit of a square. They're like, you know, like, who is this kid out of Wisconsin? It uh, looks like a pretty good player. And then you realize he is a good player. Now, fast forward to, you know, was it 10 years later? He's married to a big time celebrity. He's wearing sunglasses inside. He's showing up to games and tuxedos. Like, it, it, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it. imagine if that happened to one of your buddies, right? right? Like all of a sudden he becomes this big star and, And really leans into the whole celebrity thing. You'd be Mm -hmm. like, dude, what is going on with you?
0: I mean, not to put too much of an emphasis on this, but the Kyle Brandt audio that we played last week from Good Morning Football, Kyle Brandt, obviously a pretty well-known NFL analyst and pundit, he kind of said out loud what a bunch of us had kind of been like whispering or not even really whispering, but just talking about, we're like, is this really legit? Are we just projecting this? Because we don't, I mean, I don't know Russell Wilson from a hole in the ground. You only see the image that's laid forth, but... I got a feeling that um, everything that people have been saying over the last few years, and you kind of hear it again, like the whispers and the rumblings and everything, it certainly sounds as though, one, a lot of it was true, and two, it was a way bigger schism and chasm than we ever anticipated. Mm -hmm. There was obviously way more drama going on with those groups than we ever really knew publicly. And now it's starting to come out
2: slowly and slowly. Brian and Abby, what we learned at 3-0, I was definitely not the only Canucks fan thinking, oh no, we're going to lose for sure now. I wasn't thinking they're going to lose for sure. I was thinking, I wonder how they're going to deal with the push that the Oilers have, because the Oilers are going to have a push. Yeah, And let's face it, that push was started by a terrible... Missed call by the referees. But that's the sort of thing you have to deal with when you're a hockey team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that a coach can prepare a team for. And we always talk about the preparation for the start of the game. Uh, The more I've watched sports, the more I realize, like, the start of a game is somewhat overrated. Like, it's important. Don't get me wrong. Start of a game, how you start is important. It was important for the Canucks last night. They got off to a 3-0 lead. They looked good but the truly good teams are able to deal with and torts would talk about this all the time, you know? And this is the kind of thing that torts would say and I would roll my eyes back in the day, but I've given them more credit for it. How do you deal with the momentum swings within the game? Sure. Because sometimes you're everything's going well and one bad thing's ha- one bad thing happens, right? When you're on the road, it's even harder mm-hmm. because all of a sudden and then you got the crowd growing and it's roaring, and you start to lose your focus a little bit, and then the other team gets the energy from that crowd. Think of those – I mean, we were talking about 2011 the other day. Think of those games in Boston.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Game three, people forget. Like, that was the game that got away from the Canucks. People forget. I think the first period was, like, scoreless, and the Bruins, on the Aaron Rome hit power play, could not score. Yeah, And Bruins fans were grumbling. And you know what it took and it's funny cuz it, it kind of happened to Quinn Hughes last night. Alex Edler broke his stick. Yep. Right? And then the he, Bruins he scored yeah. and then the Bruins scored um and then it just started to roll. And they just could not stem that momentum. And obviously the good the Canucks were a good team back then. So I'm not it's not an exact comparison, but what this Canucks team and, and this is why I talk about, I wonder truly what their belief in their team is. Mm-hmm. Do they believe that they're a good team? Because good teams, when they get the lead, they know how to lock a game down. They have trust in their structure, trust in their system that they're going to be able to get the win. I get the feeling the Canucks are still trying to learn that. Whether they've got that trust, whether they've got the personnel. To lock down these games, this is the test for the leadership of that group and the coaching staff. Yeah,
0: they might not have the uh, they might not have the pieces to lock down a three nothing lead against Edmonton, but they better damn well have the pieces to lock down a three nothing lead against Philadelphia if they get the chance. If you know what I'm saying, Dan in Fort Saint John hashtag WWO What We Learned. Uh, the new virtual board ads make the rink look like it belongs in a video game. You guys all saw the glitch in the Matrix oh, yeah. last night. Oh yes, yeah, that got a lot of play on social media. Um, I have not. That's I
2: personally only. loved it. You like the? glitch? I'm a company man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. <laughs> they're great. I thought it was excellent. They did a great job. I was like, I don't. The glitches know. were interesting. Yeah, it right. was part of the program. It, it kept me on my toes. Yeah. I didn't. I haven't really noticed it, aside from the glitch. Like, I'm not. I've heard people passionately. Getting upset on, mm-hmm. especially social media. Yeah, which to be honest, until it was glitching, it. I
3: didn't really notice it either. No, they just looked I, like normal I, board ads to me. Yeah, like I know I mean, it we, It would right. cut to the side angle, and the board ads would change. That was a little jarring. Yeah, one, one thing that threw me off, and I can't remember who pointed it out, but the reflection on the ice will be a mm-hmm. different board ad than whatever is. Yeah, and I saw that a few times, and like that was kind of bizarre. But other than that, I thought it looked None fine. None of
0: it has risen to the level of like I can't watch it. So this is jarring to me. like aside, said, from, the aside from the glitch in the matrix, it mm-hmm. was pretty mellow. Uh, This one is from... Oh, I don't want to do this one. I flagged it, but I don't. Okay, I gotta... you know what? We haven't talked to Tan Beer in a while. <sighs> oh, God. What we learned, if the Canucks had Evander Kane, Canucks win the game last night, he's not just a great hockey player. He also brings the intimidation factor onto the ice. Missed opportunity by the Canucks.
2: Well, uh, yeah, oh, if, you, if he was on the Canucks, he, he probably wouldn't have high-staked Quinn Hughes either. <laughs> well,
1: <Yeah>. maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know who's to say. <laughs> it's not uh, the here. <laughs>
3: Um, No
2: one's ever debated whether or not Evander Kane's a good hockey player or not. He's a really, he's a terrific hockey
3: player.
0: Evander Kane's impact on that game was like twelfth on my list of things. He was, I mean, he took a couple penalties and he gave McDavid an empty netter, which was a nice gesture. But outside of that, I did not find Kane to be an overwhelming factor in that game. I thought the. Bumping Demko penalty was really stupid, to be honest, yeah. given the context and when it happened in the game.
2: That's the other annoying thing about last night is like the Oilers did some dumb stuff. Oilers were far from perfect. And, the, <laughs> and they couldn't get the puck out of their own end. Yep. In the first period, the Canucks' forecheck was really good. Lazar
0: is good at turning over pucks. I like he, Lazar. Yeah, yeah he yeah. was good at that so a couple I, of times.
2: So. I, I like Lazar. I like Nils Oman. Uh, for for what he is, I mean, ho- hopefully he's got some more room to grow too. I mean, he's a young guy, and didn't expect him in the NHL this season at all. Um, I'm not 100 percent sold on Dakota, Dakota Joshua. Like I, he's a big dude, and the Canucks need they need a, a heavy factor. I think, mm-hmm. but whether or not he's good enough to, be- <laughs> that's the one thing. I like. It's the same sort of debate that you had with. Zach McEwen or, or Joni Gadgevich. Yeah, he's big. You, you, you want that, but yep. can he keep up? Is he smart enough? Is he good enough? He only played like six or seven minutes last night.
0: Uh that music suggests that we gotta get out of here for today, but no worries, we will be back tomorrow. Uh Jeff Merrick is coming up next, and then of course we'll be back at six o'clock tomorrow morning. But it's a Friday, and that's always fun because one, we don't have to work anymore, and two. It's Ask Us Anything Friday. Start getting them in now if you want. 650-650 is the Dunbar and Lumber text line. We'll read them when we get back. Signing off for now, I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. He has been A-Dog, and he has been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.